Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of the Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Hi, my name is Jesse Alexander, and I've been worshiping with Emmaus Road for about a year now. Uh, one of the things I've really appreciated about Emmaus is the warmth and openness and hospitality I've felt from the people who call this church home. I think as followers of Jesus, part of our mission is to build a community and to welcome newcomers into that community with open arms and with love. And I have felt that love firsthand here. Um, our scripture reading today is Hosea 7, verse 3 through 7, and you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Hosea 7, 3 through 7. They delight the king with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven, whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough till it rises. On the day of the festival of our king, the princes become inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Their passion smolders all night. In the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall, and none of them calls on me. Great, thank you, Jesse. And welcome once again. We are so glad that you guys have chosen to worship with us today. Um, I wanna share just a few announcements before we jump into this morning's message. Um, the first is, if this is your very first time here, we especially want to welcome you and uh, thanks so much for joining us today. If you'll do us just a couple of favors while you're here, the first one is we hope that you'll take a moment to uh, fill out your connection card, which is in, on the inside uh, of your bulletin that you hopefully received on your way in. Uh, if not, they are available in our information centers on your way out, uh, but we hope that you'll uh, fill one of those out. It gives us a record of you being here and just a chance to say hello to you this week. Um, also, the second thing we hope you'll do is grab one of these uh, books, also located at our information centers, either on the side of the sanctuary uh, or in the foyer. Uh, this book is our gift for you, to you, just as our way of saying thanks so much for joining us and being with us today. Uh, also, a few weeks ago, we started a brand new ministry called Open Lunch. Open Lunch is an opportunity for you to uh, eat lunch with someone on Sunday. Um, if you are looking for a place to connect or get to know new people, uh, maybe you're brand new or maybe you've been attending a long time and you just want to, to have some community over a mealtime, uh, we, we want to be able to provide that. And so every week we have an Open Lunch host and then a location of where they'll be meeting for lunch. And so uh, today our Open Lunch host is Chris and Carla Hall right there. Wave your hand. Uh, and they will be eating at Bojo's in Old Town. And so if you'll meet them outside in the foyer just right after the service, uh, you can carpool to old, uh, Bojo's there in Old Town or you can just meet them there. Uh, and then also if you're ever interested in hosting an open lunch, uh, we would love for you to be able to do that as a ministry. Uh, contact Amy and uh, she would be happy to get you plugged in and connected in that ministry. The second thing I wanna share, and there are lots of other announcements that you'll wanna be aware of in your bulletin, but the second thing I wanna share is uh, that we'll be joining um, or we'll be gathering together on October 14th for pumpkin picking and a soup supper at Bartle's Farm. Uh, this has been a long-running tradition for us, and so we'll, we'll meet at the farm at 4 p.m. Uh, after picking pumpkins and all the other things that they have to offer, then we'll join back here at the church for a soup supper. Uh, again, we're just trying to provide opportunities for us to be together uh, and uh, build a community here. Uh, just also as a heads up, we have an important announcement that we want to share today regarding the life of the church. Uh, before we dismiss this morning, uh, it'll be after the last song, um, I'll ask you to be seated, but just so you have a heads up, uh, that after we would normally close, we do have an important announcement that we want to share. So be, um, be aware of that. 
So uh, today uh, we are in the third week of our series through Hosea. Uh, I want to say uh, a personal thank you to Rick Edwards for filling in last week. Uh, Hosea is not an easy text to, to preach from, uh, but I thought he did a great job in bringing us uh, a good word from the uh, chapters four through six uh, in Hosea. Uh, I, I gave him, I want you to know that I gave him an out. When I asked him to preach, I said, Rick, we're in a series through Hosea. You do not have to do that. Uh, you can preach your own thing. And it was important to him to continue on in our series. And so I really appreciate that and uh, thank him for it. So uh, he did a great job. If you didn't have a chance to listen to it, all of our messages are always available on podcasts. So you you can uh, search the iTunes store. You can stream them from our website. Um, you can uh, find it any number of ways. So now before we try to make sense of the passage that Jesse read this morning, uh, let's pray and ask God for his wisdom. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together today uh, to be formed into your likeness, to worship, uh, to gather around the Lord's table in a few moments. Um, God, we believe that all of these things form and shape our hearts as a, body, as a body of believers and as Christians. And so, God, we thank you for the opportunity to do that. And as we open up your word to Hosea chapter 7, uh, we pray especially for your wisdom of how we might take these ancient words and uh, we might apply them to our own lives and seek to understand uh, what they can say to us uh, today in these moments, in this country, um, in uh, this church, in this city. Um, God, we believe that your word is living and active, and therefore we know that it can speak to us and does speak to us right where we are at. And so, God, may you speak through your Holy Spirit today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you are ever going to understand the message of a prophet, you have to understand their world. Uh, and so the question becomes, what is going on in Hosea's world as he speaks these words about fire and bakers and cakes that aren't churned? Is this, uh, is this like how not to cook? Um, is this something else? Like what in the world is going on? We really need to understand uh, the world of the prophet if we're going to understand the message of the prophet. Uh, and in short, uh, Israel in this time when Hosea was speaking these words, Israel is in absolute turmoil as a country and as a nation. In fact, between the years uh, 746 and 732, so 746 to 732 BC, four of Israel's kings were assassinated by the person that would uh, succeed them. Uh, now the they, in chapter 3, they delight uh, the king in their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Uh, the they that Hosea is likely referring to in verse 3 uh, are probably supporters of a guy named Hosea uh, ben Allah. Hosea ben Allah. Uh, they, but they put Hosea on the throne by killing uh, King Pekah. Now, if you're looking for baby names, this is rich material. So... Uh, now, now, the more general reference in verse 7 uh, means that Hosea has in mind uh, all of the dysfunction that is going on. So uh, you see in verse 3, he, he is most likely referring to a specific group of people, group of supporters, and the, the things that they have done to bring their preferred king to leadership. Uh, but then in verse 7, it becomes more, he speaks more broadly of this dysfunction that's going on. And so Israel has become so lost as a nation that they are now killing kings in order to bring new kings into power. Now, what would cause such haste in a nation or country? Uh, their haste was likely caused by trying to find their place in the realm of world empires. 
Uh, they as a nation were looking for an identity. They didn't know their place. They didn't know exactly where they fit. And certainly some of the empires were a threat to them. Others were allies. But either way, they wanted to find their place. And what they were trying, they were, they were essentially just trying to find where they were on the world landscape. Now, this led, of course, to division uh, among the nation of Israel as people united uh, behind particular kings instead of recognizing that God was the true king. And if you'll remember the history of Israel, uh, they, they, saw, they looked around uh, the world and they saw that every other nation had a king. And so Israel said, we need a king. Uh, they asked for a king. They begged for a king. God said, you don't need a king. I am your king. Uh, ultimately, God concedes and, and offers and gives them a king. Uh, and there is a very, that, that is welcomed with mixed results as you read the Old Testament. Uh, but what was happening is, uh, as they looked around trying to find their place among the empires of the world, uh, looking to kings to cement that place, uh, the nation began to uh, get behind particular kings rather than their one true king, uh, God himself. Now, this was ultimately for Israel an identity crisis. Uh, it was an identity crisis because they had forgotten that they were the people of God. They were the chosen nation of God, raised up by God with a unique calling to bear witness to the reign of Yahweh for the rest of the world. And so even from the very beginning, when they asked for a king, it was an identity crisis. They had forgotten that they were raised up for the purpose of bearing witness to the world of the reign of God. And they said, we need a human king to, to, to fill this seat. Uh, and so they're going through an identity crisis. They're going through tons of turmoil. And what Hosea does is he's speaking into this situation with using vivid images. And he says that through all of this, they have become like a fire. Uh, it is, they've become like a fire that is, is smoldering hot and then burst into flame. Uh, you know, when you're burning a, a, a wood fire, you, uh, if it's been burning for a little while and you want to rekindle that, you have the hot coals, uh, and it's just right on the breaking point of bursting into flame once again. And so what, what, what the prophet essentially is saying is that in the midst of all of this turmoil and all the actions that are taking place uh, and all of the, the unfaithfulness to God, in the midst of all of that, he says, nation of Israel, you are like smolders that are right on the breaking point of bursting into flame. In fact, in verse 4, he goes one step further and he says, they are like a, a fire that has, burns so hot, it doesn't even need to be stirred. And if you've ever uh, been on a bonfire or a campfire, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that the, the fire reaches a point uh, that it doesn't need to be stirred, but as it cools, in order to heat it back up, you have to stir it, uh, mess with it, get some oxygen in there. And he's saying, you are a fire. First, you were, were coals, just right on the breaking point of bursting into flame. But now, he extends that even further, and he says, you are burning so hot, you don't even need to be stirred. He then extends this metaphor even further and says that they are like a flat cake of bread inside of an oven that is not churned over by the baker and therefore burns and becomes inedible. So he takes this idea of fire, uh, and, and of course they didn't have electric stoves or gas stoves like we have. It was, uh, it was, it was stoves that you had to burn with wood in order to make food, and so he, he brings this idea of the fire into what they would have been most familiar with, which is cooking, and he says now, uh, you, you, he extends the metaphor again and says you're like a, a flat cake of bread inside an oven that isn't churned over and therefore is burned and inedible. 
Now, in typical prophet faction, fashion, the metaphor, this metaphor leads him to another one, right? So he starts with, uh, with smolders, then he goes to burning flames, and then he goes to, to bakery, and then he goes uh, in verse 9, which I didn't have Jesse read, but in verse 9, uh, he says, or in verse 8, he says, Ephraim, that is Israel, mixes with the nations. They're a flat loaf, not turned over. A foreigner sap his strength, but he doesn't realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. And so he, he's building on this metaphor, but and then uh, he jumps all of a sudden into another metaphor, and he says, now uh, you are like an old man with gray hair that is approaching his death, but doesn't even know it. And so like, a, like the train of thought game where you just connect one concept to another, oftentimes the prophets in their metaphors will do that. It, it's just this metaphor, they'll build on it, build on it, and all of a sudden jump to something else. And so the, the idea is, well, what is the connection between uh, burnt bakery bread and men with gray hair. No offense to men with gray hair, right? Uh, and so you might say, well, what is, what, is the, what is the connection there or what is the connecting thought uh, that, that leads him into that metaphor? Well, the point of connection between these metaphors and ones that he'll go on to say later is that Israel is losing its life and its vitality. And they don't even know it. They're completely unaware. And so when you think of this, this bread that could, be, uh, that could be so good coming out of an oven, he says, no, the bread is burned. It's lost its life. Uh, it's like an aging old man who doesn't realize he's aging. Uh, it's just all of these ideas that are meant to point us to the fact that Israel as a nation is losing its life and its vitality. Now, I want you to remember that in the first week of the Hosea series, I mentioned that the narrative of Hosea's life that we know and is so famous and that we're most familiar with are really only the first three chapters of the book. Uh, the whole narrative of, of him uh, being called by God to, to marry a promiscuous woman as, as living out this message that God wants to share that in the midst of your unfaithfulness, I am tremendously faithful. And so we have this, this narrative, this, this telling of the story that uh, is, is given in chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapters 4 through 14, uh, we have the oracles that he would have been speaking or that he did speak during that time. And so you can basically see chapters 4 through 14 as happening or being spoken inside of the narrative that is given in the first three chapters. And again, the primary message that Hosea is tasked with sharing is that Israel has been unfaithful. They've been a harlot to God. And this oracle, uh, in all of seven through chapter nine, so chapter seven through nine is really considered one oracle. Uh, in this oracle, uh, Hosea is giving more specific reasons as to the reasons why Israel is in fact a harlot. And the reason is because Israel uh, has been relying on king after king, hoping that with each successive ruler, it, their life will become more secure and it will cement their place among the world empires. When all along, they were as a nation to be called by God to bear witness to God's own rule. In short, their hope was misplaced and their identity was lost. They were looking to a king uh, a position, a, a, a person that fulfills an office for their identity instead of their calling. They were looking to this king to cement their national identity rather than fulfilling their calling as a people of God. You might say, well, what does all of this have to do then with us? 
Uh, I think that going into a political season, uh, this is in fact a prophetic word for us as well. I want to share very briefly just some thoughts of of how we might begin to understand um, the role of the church so that we don't fall into the same errors that maybe Israel did. Because the reality is, it is very easy to place our hope in a candidate uh, to make our life better, to make our country more secure, and our streets safer. It's easy to lose our identity as the new community of God that that he is building called the church, and instead look to a particular candidate to secure our national identity. It's easy to hope that the right candidate will pass the right laws so that we can feel comfortable. But I just want to say to you, and perhaps just remind you this morning, that as the church, as the people of God, we have received a, a calling We've received a vocation from God to bear witness to the world that there is an alternative to the empires of the world, that there is an alternative to the, to the way in which uh, empires and kingdoms and nations are typically run. Because when, when, as nations are typically run, it is usually uh, just a, a tit-for-tat kind of relationship uh, where it's always seeking out for our own selfish interests. And what the church is called to do is called to speak into that there is in fact an alternative to this way of life. There's an alternative to the empires of the world and it is in fact called the kingdom of God. This means that in the midst of the noise of political banter, we are to resolutely place our hope in the one who, was, who had his coronation on the cross and was enthroned at the resurrection. Let me say that again. This means that in the midst of the noise of political banter, we are to resolutely place our hope in the one who had his coronation on the cross and was enthroned at the resurrection. In light of that, I want to offer to you this morning uh, some perspective as we enter the political season. Um, I have tried to do this uh, once every four years. Anytime there's a presidential election, I have tried to whether as part of a message or, or just a, a small homily or thought, to try to give us as a church some perspective of how we are to uh, enter into the political season uh, in our country. Uh, I never endorse a candidate uh, from the pulpit. I never tell you how to vote. Um, first of all, it's illegal. Second of all, I don't think the pulpit should be used for political bantering. Uh, but I do think that we should offer some perspective. Uh, And and it's important for us to talk about as a church. And so that's what I want to do very, very briefly this morning. Um, Politics is the process of governing an empire. Which means that as followers of Jesus, who do not hold our allegiance to uh, any particular empire at all, but rather to the kingdom of God, as followers of Jesus, then, it is acceptable to have different views on how to best run the empire while still holding up Jesus as the true king and subject of our allegiance. Uh, we get, I think we get into a lot of trouble when we believe that to be Christian is to align with a particular party or a particular candidate. In fact, I would argue that insisting on that is a sign that we are making the same mistake that Israel did um, when they have placed their, misplaced their hope in a particular king. If we insist that the Christian view is in support of a particular candidate or party, we are making the same mistake over again because they were divided over which king could finally bring peace and protection. 
And so when it comes to political and social issues, our role is simply this, is to bear witness to Christ as faithfully as we know how. And that will be different for some people. That will lead us to differing views and perspectives and differing, differing actions, uh, certainly. Uh, but when it comes to political and social issues, the role of the church is simply to bear witness to the reign of Christ as faithfully as we know how. Jesus does not hold to any particular way of organizing or running an empire. I want you to hear that. Jesus does not hold to any particular uh, view uh, or opinion about how to run an empire, but that is not to say that Jesus is without politics. In fact, the politics of Jesus are revealed to us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know Jesus' opinion about any kind of social issue or any about, about any kind of political uh, issue that faces our country, uh, you should read the Gospels, starting in Matthew, particularly starting in Matthew chapter 5. The politics of Jesus are revealed in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to forgive those who wrong us. We are to love our enemies. We are to bless. And, and then this proclamation, among others, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I also want to say this. It's important for us to realize that we cannot expect the empire to be Christian. We cannot expect the empire to be Christian. And so we should stop trying to legislate morality and instead just faithfully bear witness to the self-sacrificial love of Christ. And so in November, vote Republican, Democrat, third party, or not at all. See, some of you were nervous that I wasn't going to keep going. Uh, but whatever you do, remember that as the people of God, our hope is in Christ and our allegiance belongs only to him. Which is to say that the church shouldn't fight over the best ways to run the empire. But we should rather unite under the banner of Christ. Uh, can I say that again? The church should not fight over the best ways to run the empire. But rather we should unite under the banner of Christ. What this means ultimately for us is that we need to come to a place uh, as a church, and I mean capital C church, uh, but it's interesting because the capital C church is only expressed in local communities. And so when we talk about the capital C church, we always need to take that not as something that doesn't apply to us, uh, but that we are included in. I think the capital C church uh, would do well uh, to learn how to embrace differing perspectives when it comes to running the empire. Um, I think the church would do well to understand and to converse with one another uh, on differing opinions uh, regarding the social issues that we face in our day, particularly related to racial tension. Um, but we should unite under that we are seeking to understand how the kingdom of God is expressed in the world today. That will often lead us to more questions rather than answers. But the church, I think, needs to be willing ask those questions and wrestle with, the ans with, with ideas and, and answers to those questions. Um, and, and so I, I, I just, I get really nervous anytime that I hear Christians uh, say that the Christian view is this candidate, this law passed, this uh, political party, um, because that just simply is not the case. The body of Christ is far more diverse than that, and that's a gift to the church. Um, and so those 
uh, that's just a little bit of perspective for us uh, going into this year's political season. Um, we, uh, Israel had the, made the error of misplaced hope, uh, where they had placed their hope in particular kings, and they had lost their identity. What I want to call us to is uh, a more robust and centered hope in Jesus and a confirmation of our identity as the new community of God that he is raising up called the church, that we also are called to bear witness to the rule and reign of Christ in the world. And so may we as a church place our hope in Christ and not lose our identity. Uh, which means that as we see headlines, watch videos, and read blogs, we must remember that our hope rests on the assurance that one day God will make all things new. And that right now we are to simply work in that direction. That whatever we believe to be true about God's future, intended future, we need to work in that direction right now. And we also need to know that one day God's justice will rule, that God's justice will be realized. And, and before we get too carried away with that, I want to say uh, God's justice doesn't look like our justice. Um, and so I think we just need to rest in the hope that one day all things will be made new, that God's justice will be fully realized, and at the same time recognize that often his justice doesn't look like our justice. And so as we read from Psalm 140, as we read from Psalm 146 this morning, I want to just remind us of verses three through five. I think it's a great way for us to end. And then I'll invite you to pray a prayer with me from the Book of Common Prayer before we gather around the Lord's table. It says this, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. For when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord their God. Uh, let's pray this prayer uh, from the Book of Common Prayer that I feel like is uh, a good match in, in, uh, for this morning. Do we have that ready? Let's pray this together. Holy God, you reach out in love through Jesus Christ to save us so that we may live as faithful servants of you alone. Unchain us from our desire for wealth and power so that we may, in turn, release others from the prisons of poverty, hunger, and oppression. Amen.